Right, good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew chapter 25. If not, it'll be up here on the screen behind me. We're going to continue our series in the parables of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25. It's a story about a wedding, is what the story is about. Remember, it's a parable, so parables don't have to be true in the sense of the fact that it happened. It's a story that is told as, as to use as a, a teaching, a way of teaching, a didactic form, right? It's a story that you're telling with trying to get a message Across, So the story itself doesn't have to be true, even though this story certainly could be. A wedding celebration was, some, was, was a huge deal in, in the Jewish world. And normally the celebration would last actually an entire week, seven days. Um, so Jesus is going to use that setting to teach us a lesson, a very similar lesson. That if you were here last week, we saw with the parable we looked at last week of the wedding banquet, right? Same theme. So today we're going to look at the parable of the ten virgins. It begins in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 is where we start. Jesus says this, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So what would happen is for the wedding celebration to begin, the bride and the bridesmaids would wait at her parents' home. The groom would come with his, all his friends, family, his entourage, right? They'd come and they'd pick up the bride and the bridesmaids. And then they would most likely, most often, go back to his parents' home if they lived in the same village. And that's where the wedding would take place, okay? So the bride and the bridesmaids would wait for that, that group to come, normally after dark sometime. They would come, they'd, they'd get them, and they'd escort all together, dancing, music, a huge celebration. They'd go to the most likely, if, it's, if it was possible, the parents of the groom's house, and then that's where the wedding would take place. So what we have here is the, the bridesmaids, who are the ten virgins in the story, are waiting for the groom to come. Right? They're waiting for the groom to come. Almost always, from, what, from my reading, it would happen, the celebration would happen after dark in the evening time. Okay? So what's happened is our, our bridesmaids have their lamps and they're waiting to meet him. Right? They've taken their light that they're going to have. Remember, this is before, way before the advent of electricity. So the only way to see is to have a lamp or a torch of some kind. Take their lamps with them and they're going to wait. Now, as the preparations for the wedding, if you've ever... Lori just did a wedding, right? If you ever prepared a wedding, the preparations take forever, right? The food, the decor, all that kind of stuff. So the waiting part would be as the meal was being made, right? As everything's being prepared, there's no refrigeration, there's no microwave, everything has to be cooked right then and there. And so this waiting period was not a determined amount of time. The date of the wedding was set, right? We know what night it's going to happen on, but what time it's going to happen is unknown because the preparations are being made. And so that's what we have here is this waiting time, and they have no clue. Right? The groom is going to wait for everything to be ready. Then he's going to come, get the bride, and then they'll go back to his parents' house and have the wedding and start the, the week-long celebration. Okay? So this is this waiting time. It's an unknown time period. We have no clue. The groom doesn't say, hey, at 10 o'clock I'll be there. Right? It's this evening I'll come. So you have to be ready. You have to wait. And that's what's happening. Our bridesmaids are waiting. And we have two groups of bridesmaids, as you're going to see. They're going to be divided in, in groups. But before we get there, I want to talk about the lamp that's in their hand, right? So we have some archaeological evidence of what the lamp might look like. This was actually found by a a daughter and a mom out for a walk. This lamp probably dates to the intertestamental period, so between the Old Testament and New Testament, time of the Maccabees. You can see that the, the oil, which would be olive oil in this region because they grew olives, right? The oil would be dumped into here, and then there would be a wick. You're going to see in a minute, I have another picture, a wick that would come out of this hole, made of like a cotton, that they would light this wick and then it would burn back and pull that oil from 
from back in here up there and burn. And these lamps would normally go about four to five hours so if they were full of oil, okay, about how long they'd last. Now, they don't put out a lot of light, as you can imagine, but when you're, you have no light, it's, it's something. This is another one, a more simple one that's, that dates to the time of Jesus. You can see it's actually been used. You see here the, the burning here of the, where the wick would have come out. And then this is one that they've put together so you can see how it works. So there's the wick. It comes in here. It goes back into here, draws the oil out of the reservoir back here. Um, and this one, this could fit in the, into the palm of your hand. Now, there's some debate over what, whether this, the, this passage, this lamp is being talked about. I believe so. The other theory is torches, right? Now, a, a torch in those times would have been just a, a, a rag that was soaked in olive oil that would be wrapped around a stick. I mean, that's essentially what it was. For the story, it seems to make sense to me that it's more of this lamp. As you're going to see, as we go about, I'll tell you why as we go along the story, but I, I think it, this lamp makes, makes more sense. So four to five hours maximum if you fill that thing all the way to the top. Now, remember, you have to carry it and walk with it, so you probably wouldn't fill it all the way quite to the top to, to be able to transport it. But that's what we're talking about. These are the, the lamps that these, these bridesmaids are going to have with them. They're going to help lead the party to the wedding. Remember, it's, it's dark out. So five of them, the Bible tells us, and Jesus tells us in the story, were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. So whatever's in their lamp is all they have, right? The wise ones, Jesus tells us, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now, why would, make those, why would taking oil with you make you wise in this sense? What did we talk about earlier? Time's unknown, right? It could, you could wait there for 15 minutes. You could wait there for six or seven or eight hours. You have no idea how long the wait's going to be. This part of the wedding is unplanned, essentially, right, when it comes to time-wise. And so Jesus is saying the wise ones are going to take the extra jar of oil with them, knowing that it's, it's dark when they get there, and it could be a long wait until the, the groom arrives. The ones who are unwise are going to think to themselves, there's no way it's going to take him that long. He'll be here within the four to five hours I have in this lamp. I don't want to take the jar with me and have to carry it with me everywhere I go, right? So I'm just going to bring just my lamp, and that'll be good enough. As you're going to see in the story, you're going to figure out why exactly one was wise and, and one group wasn't. So the story continues in, in verse 5. It says this, The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, one of the reasons I believe they're not using that torch is for this reason. If you're holding a torch, you fall asleep, bad things might happen, right? Um, that wouldn't be so good. Uh, so I, that's why the reason, one of the reasons I actually think it's the lamp that holds in their hands. If that burns out, it's no big deal, right? You relight it with a, another wick. You relight it. You fill it back up. The torch, you fall asleep while holding a torch. Um, that's, that's a bad idea, okay? So the bridegroom was a long time in coming, Jesus tells us. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight... The cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come to meet him, right? So they've been sitting there waiting. They fell asleep, waiting for him to come. They could, remember, they could be just simply outside of, out of the, the bride's parents' home, right? They're just waiting for him to come. They fall asleep, all leaning together along the side of the house, and then the cry comes out, here he comes finally, right? And remember, this is a huge celebration, so music and dancing. So they're going to hear him coming. There's going to be an announcement that he's coming, and so now it's, they have to startle themselves awake. And this is what happens in the story. In verse 7, Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us. Both us and you, excuse me. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. 
They wake up. The one, all their lamps are about out of oil, right? They have to trim the wick to get it started again. And they realize, oh no, this is never going to take us through this entire celebration, right? The, the five foolish ones who didn't bring extra oil with them now ask the five wise ones, hey, can you share some of your oil? We're going to run out. We don't have enough. We didn't bring enough. And the other five say no. If we share with you, there's a good chance none of our lamps are going to last us the entire way. Then how are we going to, how are we going to see? Right? How are we going to help light the way for this party? And if all of their lamps run out, the wedding is in trouble. Because how are they going to see, right? It's a, and and, and so for something negative to happen during the wedding ceremony brought great shame upon the families, right? So we look at it and go, just share some of your oil and don't be a jerk, right? I mean, really, that's what we look What's happening is if all of their lamps run out and they can't light the way, they can't get to the, the groom's parents' home, the wedding doesn't happen and there is a, a great amount of shame that is brought on both families. Because remember, in a wedding celebration, generally speaking, if the parents could afford it, they would invite the entire town, the whole village to come. And so they say, no. Go and, and go buy some oil from, from those who sell it. Now most of the time, especially if you live in Weezer, right? Everything's closed by 8 o'clock. I think Ridley stays open to like 10 or 11, right? By March, done today at like 6. Or all the restaurants are closed. So most of us would go, we, we, there's no place to buy it. Now because of the celebration, because everybody in the village is coming, those who, are, who sell the oil would likely be able to you actually go buy some from them. They might not be at their shop, but they might be at home and they, you could convince them, right? Hey, I need this for the wedding. They go, okay, and they'd sell you oil. Uh, if you lived here, you'd be out of trouble at midnight. Where are you going to buy oil at? Right? Not going to happen. And this is how the story continues. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. So the five wise ones are there when the groom arrives. The five unwise ones are going to buy their oil, right? They're off trying to find oil, scrambling around. If you've ever done that before, it's not fun, right? You need something, and the time is of the essence, and you're trying to, it's, it's unpleasant. The five that are ready are able to go into the wedding celebration and to, to see the, the marriage. Now remember, as we talk about this in, in Israel, in ancient Israel especially, these girls were probably mid-teens. They're young, right? That's generally the time in which you got married in, in that world. Stacy and I were 21 and 22 and we got married and everyone thought we were young. The ancient world, the teenager, being a teenager and being married was, was very common. So these girls are young. And a huge life lessons are going to be taught to them here in this moment, right? So the ones that are ready are in. The ones that were not, were not ready, that were not prepared, are out. And Jesus tells us the door is shut. Now normally, in a wedding celebration, people came and went. So this is the part of the story that's not normal for a Jewish wedding this time in this place. The door is not generally shut because people from the village will come and they'll go, right? It's a seven-day celebration. Maybe you have something you have to do at some point, so you come and you leave. The door being shut is unique to this, and Jesus is going to then try to give us the message here, right? This is the point as we read these final three verses. Later, the others also came, those who were out searching for oil. Notice how the wording is going to change here. Remember, it's a parable so the story that we just read isn't the point, right? It's not actually about a wedding. It's about something much deeper, much greater. So the others come and they say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. 
he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. And Jesus tells us in verse 13 this, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now this parable is obviously not about a wedding, right? It's about preparedness, and specifically preparedness for Jesus' coming. Now, I want you to think about this. If you look at Matthew 25, Bruce read out of Matthew 26 during communion meditation, and Bruce is read from what part of the story of Jesus? The Last Supper, right? This is Matthew 25, Bruce read 26. So that tells us something, right? That this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, like he's going to die really soon. Because the story that Bruce tells us is they, they eat in the upper room. Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is an olive grove, to pray. He's arrested, and then the next morning he's being crucified, right? Being trials and being crucified. And then resurrection three days later. So Matthew 25 tells us this is the end of Jesus' ministry. Now I want you to think about the audience he's speaking to then. Oftentimes, it isn't just his disciples. There's, he taught in the temples on that last week, right? Taught in the temple. So there are many in the audience, as Jesus tells a story, who haven't realized that Jesus is the Messiah for the first time. They haven't acknowledged his first coming, right? The fact that he is who he says he is. Matter of fact, those people are going to be the ones who end up crucifying him. Jesus then warns us and them in this story about missing when he comes again. We refer to it as Jesus' second coming, right? And those words in verse 13 are very important for us here today as we await Jesus' coming again. Therefore, keep watch because you, you do not know the day or the hour. So you better be diligent. You better be prepared. Because the day and the hour are unknown. Right? That's why it's always amusing to me when someone tells us to get on there. I don't care if they're a preacher or who they are, right? And they tell us when Jesus is coming back again. Right? And every time it doesn't happen because they're morons. I don't, what, there's no other way of putting it, guys. I don't. <laughs> Jesus told us time and time again in the Bible, you're not going to know, right? I mean, it's just as simple as that. It's just, you're not reading the Bible. Jesus says the hour's unknown, the day's unknown, the time's unknown. Just be prepared, right? And we just keep guessing. And my favorite is when something bad happens and someone goes, oh, Jesus is coming back now because something bad happened to them, right? You're like, oh, because things haven't been happening bad for the last 2,000 years in history, right? Sometimes we get a little myopic when we talk about Jesus' second coming. It's going to happen. I've heard people say, oh, it's going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah, you're that important that Jesus is going to come back during your lifetime, right? There hasn't been anybody else important that's ever lived that they might, he might come back during their life. Right, pump the brakes and calm down. When we talk about Jesus' second coming, people get really excited and really weird, right? All at the same time. Jesus never tells us to get into a panic or to a frenzy. He just tells us to be prepared, right? Be prepared. Right, don't, don't take the chance that you're going you're gonna to be the one that's going to confess to Jesus on your deathbed because what happens if you never get there? right? If the deathbed doesn't come. To me, I believe the point of the story is Jesus telling us, what are you, what are you waiting for? Like, what are you placing your faith in 
And why not place your faith in Him right now? Why wait for a year or two years or five years or ten years or hopefully you'll be able to have a deathbed where you can then... Why are you waiting for that? What are you waiting for? It's a question we have to ask ourselves, right? I'm never going to pressure you into making that decision because if I did, would it really be your decision to make? No, right? But if you haven't made that decision yet, if you haven't put your faith and your hope and your trust in this Jesus, then that's something you need to figure out, like now. If there's anything I've learned over 10 years of being in the fire service is tomorrow isn't promised. I've responded to all kinds of terrible accidents where people have lost their lives in an instant, in a moment, and they never planned on it, right? They were just driving, or they were just whatever it was, and then life changes. Tomorrow has never been and will never be promised to us. So why not do it today? And for those of you who have been Christians a long time, you're not getting out of this one either, right? You're not. What's the story? The story is about ten bridesmaids who all know their job, right? It's not as if they don't know what their job is. They know the job. Some of them just didn't come prepared for the job. If you've been a Christian for 10 or 20 or 30 years, that doesn't mean that tomorrow it can't change. And so you better be building and investing in this relationship with this Jesus. Because life's circumstances change. And sometimes, if our faith is only this deep and tragedy comes, you know what happens? The roots are often ripped right out. You can sit here for your entire life. That's not the point. The point is, do we know this Jesus? Do we know him intimately? Do we have a relationship with him? I know we talk about that a lot, so I'm going to explain that. What what is a relationship with Jesus? It's just communication. We pray, right? Prayer is what? I explain this to the youth kids all the time. Prayer is just talking to God. And if you want to be married to someone, you better talk to them, right? It's not going to be a very long marriage. If you want a relationship with anybody, if you want to be a friend with someone, you have to communicate. You have to learn about them, right? You have to talk to them. That's what prayer is, is us talking to God. And then, of course, prayer is also us being quiet before God, right? That part's a little harder. The talking part we generally have down pretty well. The quiet part's a little more difficult. Comes with some time spent is being silent before him. Then we have to learn about him. Any good relationship, you learn about that person, right? What they like, what they don't like. Their hopes, their dreams. God has given us a book. If you don't have one, you can take the one in the pew in front of you if you need one, right? It's the Bible. It's the book. It's where God discloses himself to us. Tells us about himself. What he, what he likes and what he doesn't like. What he hopes for. What his dreams are. And the wildest thing is you can read that thing to cover and cover and you know what you're going to find is that God's wildest and greatest dream is to be in a relationship with you. I know it sounds crazy. I know me. I'm not all that good. Why would God want to be, have anything with, to do with me? Right? doesn't make any sense. I get it. I know. I've wrestled with it. Trust me. But you'll read that book and you're going to find out that what he wants more than anything is you. Think about it. You get married. Your spouse, all you want is just to be with them. Remember the first year of marriage? Stacey and I refer to it as new love, right? You see people who have new love. They hold hands everywhere they go and they're kiss and right it's just it's so cute and you're like oh it's precious man 
It's great. It's fantastic. But what happens, right, as we, we've done it 10 and 15, not that we can't do that, those things anymore, but we've been through some stuff together, right? And you've been married 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You've, you've gone through some things together, and you've gotten stronger. And it isn't just the new cutesy little love, the little butterflies. and that, It's deeper. It's more meaningful, right? You've had kids together. You've, had, you've experienced tragedy. You've lost loved ones. You've been up. You've had nothing You're trying to figure out how in the world are we going to feed the kids or put shoes on their feet, right? You've been through the ups and the downs and that all that does is that grows that relationship deeper and more meaningful. And the same is true with God. When we've stuck with God through thick and thin, through the mountaintops and the valleys low, we build a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Him. And we realize that we can depend on Him through it all. The point of the story is to always be ready. To never let that relationship slip or go. And if we're honest with ourselves, the relationships that we've had, whether they're intimate relationships with a spouse or they're just friendships, the ones that have fizzled out are because of what? We didn't put the time or the energy into those relationships. You have a relationship like that. Maybe you're, it, it, it's, we refer to them as an acquaintance, right? It's someone that you see, you say hi to, and you never get deeper than that. How's the weather, right? The weather's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys go about your day. That's not a friendship, right? I mean, it's just an acquaintance. You know the person. Maybe you went to high school with them, or you've known them for a long time, and you see each other. You have nothing really in common, so you shake hands or hi. How the kids, the wife, and then you're on your way. That's not the kind of relationship our God wants with us. He doesn't want your spare time. He wants to be first. Because our God is a, is a jealous God. He's jealous for us. Just like a, a husband is jealous for his wife or a wife is, hu- is jealous for her husband, our God is jealous for us. He wants our best. I know it's hard to give it to him all the time. I understand. Life happens. Things are difficult. Trust me. I get it. But he wants our best. When we give him our best, we're like the wise bridesmaids, are we not? Who brought the oil with us? Who prepared? That's all he's asking for in this story is for us. If you haven't made that decision yet, I'd love to talk to you more about it or talk to your neighbor about it. It's a decision I believe you need to make. I think, I think it's a decision you will never, ever regret. Now, I'm going to warn you if you haven't made the decision yet. Being a Christian isn't easy. If someone told you that, that's a lie. That's never been a promise. The Bible never says, you come to me and everything will go smooth and great and everything will be fine. So actually, it's quite the opposite if you read the Bible. The people who pen these letters, most of them are, are killed for their faith. Right, being a Christian isn't going to be easy, but it is going to be worth it. You're going to have struggles like everybody else and you're going to still fight sin every single day like everybody else. But you have one who will be with you through it all who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it won't be easy, this journey, but it'll be worth it. I promise you, your life will never be the same. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of the five wise and the five unwise bridesmaids. God, we we pray and hope that we would be the, the kind of people who would be lumped into that wise category, those who have prepared our hearts, our souls, and our minds for you, God growing in a deeper relationship with you every single day. And God, that's difficult. Sometimes it is. I love to tell you and tell everybody here that I do that every day. I don't. God, I struggle sometimes to put you first. And so we ask that you would help 
Help all of us to do that. Knowing that when we put you first, it actually lifts everybody else up with us. By putting you first, I'll be a better husband. By putting you first, I'll be a better father. By putting you first, I'll be a better whatever it is. Fill in the blank. And when I put you first, God, life goes much better and much smoother. Knowing that it won't be easy, that easy has never been promised to us, God, but why would we chase after easy anyways? We want a life that is full of meaning and depth and richness, God, and we know that that life can only be found in you. So for those of us who've been Christians most of our lives, or our whole lives, we, we commit ourselves to you again and er- today and every day. And for those who have not yet given their heart to you, God, we pray for them that they would make that choice to chase after you with everything they have. Knowing that you are the beginning and the end. You're it. God, we thank you for the story. We ask that you help us to be prepared for when you come back again. We pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son, Jesus.